Tonight on the Virtual Bible Study, we want to talk about baptism. A lot of controversy in the religious world about baptism, Monty. You know, it would seem people would would just want to read their Bible and do what the Bible says about it, but they've got all sorts of ideas and reject that notion. Yeah, a lot of false teaching has been on the subject of baptism through the centuries. We want to talk about... We want to identify eight errors or mistakes that people make about baptism. That's going to be our study on the virtual Bible study tonight. We invite you to join us. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 93- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study good evening and welcome to the virtual bible study this is thursday night october the 18th 2018 thanks for joining us on the virtual bible study my name is greg gwynn as you if you're a regular viewer of the program, you notice I'm not sitting in my regular seat. I'm sitting in Jacob's seat, who is out of pocket tonight. And so I'm over here trying to run the controls. Already messed up a little bit. We'll try to do better. Uh, in my normal seat is my good friend, Monty Overton. Monty, thanks for joining us on the Virtual Bible Study tonight. Thank you, Greg. It's good to be here. And we got Kyle behind the board. <clears throat> Kyle's become our regular board operator, and uh, he does a great job. Kyle, thanks for being with us tonight. It's good to be here. We got a, a little bit of housekeeping we want to do before we get into our topic for discussion tonight. This coming Sunday uh, is the beginning of our gospel meeting here at College View. We've been talking about this for the last several weeks, and we've been anticipating it for a good long while. And so this Sunday, uh, and then continuing next week, Monday through Friday at 7 p.m., we'll be having our fall gospel meeting here at the College View Church of Christ. What we typically do and what we're doing this year is that in our fall gospel meeting, we invite different speakers from around our area to come and bring a, a lesson to us. And so, and usually what I tell those preachers to do is bring your best sermon, bring the sermon you like to preach best of all. And hopefully that gets us the, the, the not only great speakers, but pre- preaching their favorite sermons. Money seems like a pretty good combination. It ought to get us the cream of the crop. Yeah. Sunday's a little different uh, on time than normal. We'll have our regular services at 9.30 and 10.30 in the morning, but then our evening service will be moved up to 2.30 in the afternoon. Speaking for us Sunday will be Caleb Ray. Caleb preaches regularly for the Rock Church of Christ in Dixon County, and so he'll be with us on Sunday. Then on Monday, Steve Klein uh, from Huntsville, or excuse me, from Athens, Alabama, will be with us. Tuesday night, John Gibson from Huntsville, Alabama. Wednesday night, Jeff Smith from Athens, Alabama. Thursday night, Jim Michaels from Lewisburg, Tennessee. And then Friday night is also a little different. It'll still be at the same time, 7 o'clock. But instead of a preaching service, we're going to have a singing. Uh, Jim Deason from Coleman, Alabama, um, is coming to lead singing for us. Jim is a great preacher, but also just an outstanding song leader. And so he'll be leading us in singing on Friday night. should be very good. And that'll wrap up our gospel meeting. So if you're anywhere within a driving distance of of Columbia, Tennessee, we hope that you'll make your way to our gospel meeting. Begins Sunday and runs through the following Friday night. Now on Thursday night, we will have our, Lord willing, we'll have our virtual Bible study right at the conclusion of our worship service. We'll hurry over here to our virtual Bible study room and we'll... We'll get Jim Michaels, who's going to be preaching for us that night. We're going to put him on the hot seat, and we're going to talk about his sermon uh, and and just sort of spend some time talking about the things that he discussed during his sermon. And, and if you come that night, we always invite 
all and any who want to to come over here into the virtual Bible study area and join us, and you can make comments live and on the air. On the air. So that's a great opportunity, too. So if you can make it to College View next week, we definitely want you to come. Uh, we'd love to have you here. Um, we also have, we always mention our bumper stickers. Get, get our bumper stickers. Uh, send us an email to questions at collegeview.com and add in the text of the message your regular snail mail address so we can send you some bumper stickers to help us get word out about the virtual Bible study. Like us on Facebook. Spread the word through your Facebook friends about the virtual Bible study. Uh, the more the merrier. We, and we really think that our program is better when we get a lot of people participating. So by all means do that that um if you're not getting our updates weekly updates send us an email to questions at collegeview.com tell tell us to put you on the list and we, and you'll be getting our updates we're going to talk about the update we sent out earlier today uh for our topic um so you can participate tonight uh, we've got our phone line available 877-381-4567 is the number toll-free. You can send us an email. I got Monty monitoring the inbox on the email, so send an email if you want to send it that way. Or a really good way to participate is in the chat room. And I see that we've got some action in the chat room already. Kevin is there from Arkansas. Kevin hadn't seen you in a while, uh, but you're in, in Cincinnati tonight instead of Arkansas. Great to have you with us. Uh, I see Linda there, Sarah. Uh, Arthur, Kyle, you're, you, you've logged in, so you may get to uh, do some interaction with people in the chat room tonight, too. So get in the chat room. Send your comments there as well. All right, I think that covers all of our bases uh, on sort of housekeeping matters here to start out, Monty. Here's the questions we sent, and these are the ones that we want to discuss during our study tonight. First of all, we just want comments about these mistaken ideas on baptism. Number one, baptism was only for Jewish converts and was never taught for Gentiles. Number two, baptism is only for infants, and it's sort of similar to circumcision for infants in the Old Testament. Number three, sprinkling is an acceptable mode of baptism. Number four, baptism simply symbolizes that you have already been saved. Number five, baptism is a work that people do to earn salvation. Number six, we are saved by baptismal regeneration. Number seven, baptism must be done in the name of Jesus only. And number eight, it's not necessary to understand the purpose of baptism. I, that money that doesn't cover all the bases on mistaken ideas about baptism, but that's quite a few of them right there. Well, that, we should be able to get a decent night's discussion out of those. <laughs> we'll have to hurry to get through them all, I think. <laughs> if you have comments, send them in uh, and participate with us uh, uh, in the chat room or by email or give us a call. All right, let's start on this first one, and that is the idea that baptism was only ever for Jewish converts, and that baptism for the remission of sins was never taught to Gentiles. This this doctrine um, has been called dispensationalism, and and uh, it originated back in the 1800s. I think a man named Bullinger uh, was originally credited with coming up with this idea. Some of you may have or have seen copies of the Schofield Study Bible. That was a pretty popular study Bible uh, in, in the past. I don't know if they're still even publishing that or not. But in the Schofield Study Bible, uh, the idea of dispensationalism is taught. And basically it says that Peter was preaching a gospel to the Jews, but Paul, who was the apostle to the Gentiles, taught a different gospel, and that they weren't the same, and that Jewish converts were expected to be baptized. Gentiles never were. And it even suggests that 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 baptism for Jews continued until maybe the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Certainly through the end of Acts, uh, Jews were being taught to be baptized, but the Gentiles never were. a number of years ago, Monty, I, I was in a Bible study with a couple of men that held to this dispensational view. And, uh, you know, we tried to point out that Paul taught baptism in passages like Romans chapter 6. He talked about we, mm-hmm. we are buried with him in baptism. Mm-hmm. We rise to walk in newness of life. The, the first verses of, of Romans chapter 6 are, are pretty explicit about baptism. Uh, 
Know ye not, he says in Romans 6, verse 3, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And so when we pointed out to them that Paul there was definitely teaching baptism, they said, yeah, well, that was that was early on. It, you, what you have, if you're going to prove baptism is necessary, you got to go to the later writings of Paul. In fact, they insist that you got to be able to prove that Paul talked about baptism in his prison epistles, the ones that he wrote during his Roman imprisonment. Well, I don't know. I, I guess if you can set every arbitrary rule you want to set, I guess you can come up with any conclusion. You could sort of hedge out any conclusion that you didn't want to come up to yeah. as long as you got to make all the rules. Yeah. Uh, but interestingly, in one of the prison epistles, Paul did mention something about being baptized, and they were a little, they were a little stymied by this. But in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, Paul said, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Mm-hmm. I believe washing of water by the word is baptism. I would say so. And this is in a later epistle of Paul and uh, tends to destroy that idea that that Paul later on, he did, even Paul didn't get it right initially, but later on he was just teaching salvation by faith in Christ Jesus, and he was not teaching baptism. But there's a reference in Ephesians 5 to Paul teaching baptism in, a, in one of his later letters. Well, it seems to me that is the, you know they made the comment that Peter taught the Jews and Paul taught the Gentiles. But in Acts chapter 10, we read about the first Gentile co- convert, and Peter was sent to go to Cornelius' household. And it talks at the end of it, uh, in Acts chapter 10, verse 48, it says, He commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, and they asked him to stay a few days. So Peter commanded Gentiles to be baptized. Exactly right. So uh, we don't see any difference in what Peter taught and what Paul taught. That's right. And Peter taught the same thing to both Jews and Gentiles, that's obviously. Correct. Right. Uh, you know, even when you just consider the Great Commission, in Matthew 28, verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, not just Jews, teach all, all nations. nations. What do you teach them? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you all, even to the end of the world. So that would seem like that was Jesus' instruction in the Great Commission would certainly include baptism for non-Jews. So I think this is a, a distinction that cannot be sustained in the Scriptures, that there were... There were two different doctrines, a, a gospel to the Jews, at least uh, sort of in a transitional time period between the beginning of the church in Acts 2 and, at, and, and then heading on towards 70 AD. It died out. Baptism died out and was gone by the end of the book of Acts is the argument the dispensationalists usually make. And... Uh, we just don't we don't see that. It just doesn't hold up under close scrutiny. Any thoughts, Kyle? Anything to add? Uh, no, that's at the moment. You know, you'd think if baptism was going to die out, then we would have some message in the New Testament relating that message to us. Just like we're taught that the spiritual gifts were going to were going to go away. Uh, we're told that when that was perfect was come, that was in part would be done away with, and it's referring to spiritual gifts there. And the completed revelation of the word. So we was told those was going to go away. Well, if baptism was going to go away, you'd think God would have told us that too. Exactly and right. And since he didn't tell us it was going away, we've got no reason to think that it should go away. Exactly right. So, again, the, the, you may run into this. I think it's a fairly obscure position. That is, I don't think there's a, a ton of people who believe it. But there are some folks out there. Uh, over many years of Bible studies, I've only actually run into one study where I, I was involved in discussing this with some individuals. Uh, so I don't think it's a highly prevalent view, but it's called dispensationalism. I've also heard it called ultra-dispensationalism, and uh, I just don't think it, it is, is true to the Scripture. Let me, we got a, uh, an email from Kent, Kent's our, our, our most faithful email responder uh, and he says in to this this particular heresy has hyper dispensationalism as its underlying fatal fallacy this view falsely affirms that there was a transitional dispensation beginning at acts chapter 2 and continuing until acts chapter 9 when paul converted to the truth 
these individuals attempt to argue that two different gospels were being preached, one by Peter and another by Paul. They assert that Peter preached the gospel of the coming kingdom, which included water baptism for the remission of sins. They assert that such a baptism was for the remission of sins, but that such applied to Jews only and ended in Acts 9 when Paul was saved by faith only, transitioning from the gospel of the kingdom to the gospel of the grace of God. Uh, that's a little different than what I've understood, but that's an interesting explanation, a little different than the way I understood it, but I imagine Kent's right on there. They, however, run into all sorts of problems and contradictions. First, Paul was baptized for the remission of sins, even though this so-called new dispensation was introduced transitioning from the day of Pentecost. Number two, Paul clearly stated that he preached the same gospel as Peter preached in Galatians 1, verses 18 through 24. Number three, in Paul's evangelistic work, he either personally baptized or taught Gentiles the necessity of baptism for the remission of sins. Acts 19, beginning verse 1, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, Galatians 3, verse 27. It is ironic that one of the noted promoters of Jewish-only baptism in modern times, Mr. Peter Ruckman, who died in 2016, who was the founder of the local uh, founder and local preacher of the Bible Baptist Church in Pensacola, Florida, and president of the Pensacola Bible Institute, he baptized Gentiles into that particular Baptist church, thus refusing to practice his own doctrine. Ruckman refused to baptize for the remission of sins. However, to be consistent with his doctrine, he should not have performed any type of water baptism at all, not even into the Bible Baptist Church. All right, so Kent's well studied on that subject. Thank you, Kent, uh, for that input. We got an email from Donna, uh, and she says, Galatians three twenty-seven through 29. For all who have been united with Christ in baptism have been made like him. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. For you are all Christians. You are one in Christ Jesus. You are his heirs. And now all the promises God gave to him belong to you. I think that's a great passage, Don. I think you're exactly right. And notice, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. We have been united with Christ in baptism, Jew and Gentile. Pretty clear. Yeah, it's you have to try hard to miss that, I would think. Yeah, yeah exactly right. Okay, we are past time for a, a, um, a break, and so we're going to go to a break. And we're, when we get back, we're going to talk about the question of infant baptism, which we've studied plenty of times before, uh, but a little bit different slant on it. Monty, some folks are suggesting that we should baptize babies like they circumcised babies under the law of Moses. Well, I don't think they can find that supported by the scripture. Let's talk about it when we get back right after this break. Stay with us. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. Hello, everyone. I'm Brett Haynes. I'm a member of the College View Church of Christ. A lot of people in the religious world today tell us that as long as our heart is right and we truly love God, we can do whatever we want in our service to Him. They say that what we do doesn't matter because God is only interested in our heart. I believe they have it all wrong. True, God is interested in our hearts, but He's also interested in our actions. One reason why is because our actions describe the true condition of our heart. This is what Jesus taught in Matthew 12, verse 34, when he said, For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. So I believe that if we are doing whatever we want to in our service and are not serving God exactly like he has asked, then our heart is not right before God. The members of the College View Church of Christ are committed to making sure that both our hearts and our actions are pleasing to God. If you're interested in doing the same, we encourage you to join us for worship this Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Live so that if someone says something unkind about you, no one will believe it. Thomas Jefferson said, And can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we have removed their only firm basis, a conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are the gift of God, that they are not to be violated but with his wrath? Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just, that his justice cannot sleep forever. If you pursue happiness, it will elude you. But if you focus on your family, the needs of others, and doing the best you can, happiness will find you. Man, wish I'd said that. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program discussing some errors or mistakes that people make on the important subject of baptism. Uh, we've got some action in the chat room uh, 
Kevin says that he has not run into this dispensational view, but he's not surprised, really. He said some people treat, attempt to treat baptism as archaic since they would prefer to be progressive, thinking erroneously that truth found in the Bible changes over time. I think Kevin's right. You know, we're hearing that word more, Monty, the, the idea of progressivism, that, that we, we sort of progress. This is a, sort of a, 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 an evolving thing. Christianity and the doctrine that we teach and practice sort of evolves over time. You know, the, I think the word progressive has come up. We find it a lot in politics also, and it's come over into religious matters. Uh, it's what we used to call people liberal, but the idea of being liberal has developed so maybe a little yeah. bit of a bad connotation to it or leaves a bad yeah. taste in somebody's mouth, and they don't want to thought of, be thought of as being liberal anymore. But if you're progressive, it's like you've become beyond other people. You're yeah. better and more highly enlightened than other people. Yeah. And really... I mean, they can call it whatever they want, but what it boils down to is they're just not willing to do what the Bible says the way the Bible said do it. I think that's right. I think that's right. Uh, Linda is in the chat room. She says she's in Dixon County, Tennessee. That's that's Molly's home, home stopping ground in yeah. Dixon County. So glad to have you out there, Linda. Thanks for listening. Uh, others of you might put a note in the chat room. Tell us where you're listening from. We'd love to to know that. All right. Our second question was, what about baptism for Infants. It really, baptism is only for infants. And there's some people are trying to make a connection. Again, this is a little new to me, Monty. Some people trying to make a connection between infants being baptized and infants being circumcised under the law of Moses. And the text that they want to go to is Colossians 2, 11 and 12. In Colossians 2.11, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are then uh, ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who have raised him from the dead. So, so in, in a context that discusses baptism, uh, there is this notion of circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, putting off the the body of the sins of the flesh. And so uh, there is some symbolism there. I think there's a, a drawing of some symbolism uh, that as circumcision in the law of actually predating the law of Moses, going all the way back to Abraham, but mm-hmm. circumcision in the Old Testament was was putting off, cutting away something. And uh, here, and of course that was literal uh, uh, part of the flesh. Here, uh, Paul says that there's sort of a symbolic sense in which we are circumcised, putting away the body of the sins of the flesh. Uh, And we do that when we are baptized. Okay, I think I've got that. But what I don't get is since the circumcision in the Old Testament was for babies, then this is talking about babies being baptized to put away. Notice, this circumcision done without hands puts off the body of the sins of the flesh. You see a problem with that? Well, it's my understanding that babies can't sin. Right. Uh, They don't have sins to put off, so that wouldn't be the issue. Uh, When we think about circumcision under the law of Moses, they were circumcised because they had been born in to the physical nation of Israel. They were descendants of Abraham, and that represented that they were in that covenant relationship with God because they were by physically They were already in by it by birth. birth yeah. uh, baptism is something that we do for people that choose to join into that relationship with God. Uh, there's a passage, and I can't think of where it is right now, but it talks about how God's people, won't, his followers won't be taught. See, when you was circumcised you had to be taught the law after you had received this covenant been born into it but as christians we're taught first and then we become christians and through through baptism but if you think about baptism for infants uh i don't find any place in the whole new testament anywhere where any infant was ever baptized exactly right we've talked we've had programs in the past where we talked about infant baptism it's just not this again a position that cannot be sustained or supported from what's taught in the scriptures. i was thinking monty about this trying to draw this symbolism to old testament mm-hmm. circumcision they 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 circumcise babies in the old testament so we baptize babies in the new testament You know, they didn't circumcise all babies in the Old Testament. They just circumcised male babies in the Old Testament. So would we say then that baptism is not for all babies, just Just for male male babies? babies? 
Uh, I don't think they would. Well, if they we're trying agree. to parallel the two, that's the conclusion I think we would have to come to. Yeah. Uh, baptism is for the remission of sins, Acts 2.38. And as you correctly noted, babies are born sinless. They do not have sins. They, they do not need to. They do not need to do what Colossians 2.11 says. They do not need to put off the body of the sins of the flesh. They don't have any sins. Baptism is not for babies. But even if it was for babies... Babies can't do the things that the scriptures clearly teach as prerequisites to New Testament baptism. In order to be scripturally baptized, you first have to be taught. Mm-hmm. You have to repent, which, first of all, as we were saying, suggests you have something to repent of. Yeah. But even if you, even if we were to accept, which we do not, but if we were to accept the idea of inherited sin, babies don't have the mental thought process to be able to repent. Even if they had something to repent of, they can't think through that and do that. They can't confess with the mouth, Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. And therefore, they wouldn't be ready to be baptized because they couldn't do the things that lead up to scriptural baptism. You know, that's correct. You know, if you can't teach them because, I mean, they don't know how to talk yet, so how can you teach them? So you've got to get at least old enough to get to a point you can do that. Well, then you've got to come to a point in their life where they're able to understand the difference between right and wrong and choosing to do right and wrong so there's just a you know it, it would it's necessary that a person has to develop certain several years old in their life before they can accomplish these things that are necessary to be baptized exactly right uh, just just a, just a scripture to confirm our statement earlier that babies are born innocent well jesus said in Matthew 18, verse 3, Verily I say to you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Conversion mm-hmm. makes us like little children. We have to be changed from what we are now as adults and sinful creatures. We have to be changed back to that to, state to of be, innocence. To be morally innocent of sin by forgiveness that comes through obedience to the gospel okay uh let's see here uh kent says mark sixteen sixteen, christ makes faith a condition of baptism and mark or excuse me acts two thirty eight, peter makes repentance also a condition previous to baptism infants cannot believe neither can they repent because they have no sin therefore they, therefore they are not qualified to be baptized for the remission of sins such is not parallel to Old Testament circumcision in that those circumcised were not required to meet the same conditions as those who received New Testament baptism. Old Testament circumcision, by the way, was limited to males. I think you're exactly right, Kent. Um, Donna uh, in Florida says, I was baptized in the Methodist church when I was six months old. This meant nothing to me, nor does it mean anything to any other baby. My only choice then would have been a bottle or a rattle, but not Jesus, as I did not understand such things. I chose to be baptized at 19 years of age because I was told about Jesus by a friend, and and I asked him into my life. I believe Jesus wants his children to choose for themselves to follow him. As much as we parents wish we could choose for our children, our children must choose for themselves. I've tried to find a scripture about baby baptism, but the closest I can find is Matthew 19, 14, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. If anyone can find a scripture concerning baby baptism, I'll be interested to hear it. I don't think there is one, Donna. Uh, I think you're exactly right. You can search and not find that. Well, the context of that last scripture she mentioned wasn't talking about baptism to begin with. No, that he wanted the children he just to come wanted to, him. to be in his presence exactly. and he's putting his hands on them. Uh, uh, Real quickly, we're going to run out of time if we don't hurry, but uh, one of the arguments that we've talked about before where they try, where people try desperately grasping at straws to come up with infant baptism, uh, is the household baptisms. Two cases um, in the book of Acts, um, Paul with the household of Lydia, and then also um, in Acts, or excuse me, yeah, Acts sixteen, uh, the household of Philippian jailers. We'll just look at that one. Uh, in Acts 16, the case of the Philippian jailer, they spake to him the word of the Lord to all that were in his house. He took them the same out of the night and washed his stripes and was baptized, he and all his straightway. Well, here's the argument. Well, in any given household, there could be infant children. And therefore, there might have been babies in the Philippian jailer's household. Therefore, this might be a case of infant baptism. 
A lot of mites. <laughs> yeah. I, I was making the point recently, you know, there might be anything in that. You know, there, there might be, uh, uh, St. Bernard dogs in that house. And so we, could we use this to justify baptizing dogs? I mean, if that argument holds, then almost anything would go. I mean, that's just, that's just, in my opinion, ridiculous. Well, you have a household. There's no children in your household. There's no children in my household. There's no children in Kyle's household. So here's three different households here represented that doesn't have any children involved in it or infants in order if we wanted to to baptize them. So, I mean, there's a lot of households at college you hear that does have infants in it. I'm not saying... That there's, but, there's none, but you can't draw, but that you conclusion. Can't draw a conclusion no, that just because it says household is infants, because pro- I would probably guess, I hadn't counted it up, but probably half the households here don't have inf- infants in them. Uh, uh, going to the chat room, Jeff is listening in Livingston, Overton County, Tennessee. Thanks, Jeff. Glad you're out there. Um, guest 888 says, if a person is young and wants to be baptized so they can partake of the Lord's Supper, uh, and also because... Their friend did earlier. Are they considered baptized? I think that's a really good question because I think that's a situation that happens from time to time. But I actually want to hold on that. If you'll stay with us, guest eight eight eight. We're gonna. Our last question is: Is it necessary to understand the purpose of baptism? And I think that question goes directly to that. uh, This comment in the chat room goes directly to that question. So hang on with us, and we'll try to come back to that as we get a little closer to the end of the program. Um, It's time for a break. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to have to move a little more quickly. And when we come back, we want to talk about um, sprinkling. Is it an acceptable mode of baptism? We'll do that when we come back from this break. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. This is Stephen Nicholson, a member of the College View Church of Christ, and I want to invite you to be a regular participant on the virtual Bible study. Your input by way of emails and phone calls are always welcome during the live program. We're also open to your suggestions about possible topics for discussion on upcoming editions of the program. We'd love to hear from you anytime. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. Do you ever feel like the things that you do don't amount to much? Do you think that you aren't making much difference in this world? Do you get discouraged and wonder, what's the use? A familiar incident in the life of Christ might help. John records the account of Jesus cleansing the temple of the money changers in John chapter 2. This was obviously very early in the public ministry of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell about Jesus cleansing the temple in the last chapters of their gospel, just before he was crucified. Is there a contradiction here? Well, no. It seems clear that Jesus did this job twice. Armed with this understanding, we might ask, what's the use? He cleansed the temple once and the money changers just came right back. We might be tempted to think, why bother? The first answer to this question is you do what's right because it is right. No matter how little the results you might see from your efforts, you must keep on doing what is right. Jesus understood this and so must we. Also, we note that this work of cleansing the temple did have a positive influence, if not on the money changers, at least on the disciples of Jesus. Quote, his disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. John 2, verse 17. They were there. They saw this and were impressed by it. When we stand up for what is right, others will see it, and our example will have a positive effect on some. Finally, we challenge the whole notion that doing right doesn't do any good. In the case of Jesus cleansing the temple, it did good in the near term. The temple was free, at least for a time, of the corrupt money changers. Yes, it had to be done again later, but for that moment it helped. When we do good, it helps. And we should never be weary in well-doing, Galatians 6, verse 9, but rather be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. And we're back on the virtual Bible study. We want to remind you that the virtual Bible study is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can find out more about us by visiting our website, collegeview.com. Remember, College View is spelled kind of funny, C-O-L-L-E-G-E, college. View is V-U-E, College View, one word, College View, and we're at collegeview.com. Again, we want to remind you about our services Sunday at 9.30 and 10.30 in the morning. This Sunday, 2.30 in the afternoon, 
Next week we'll be having our gospel meeting every night at 7 p.m., Lord willing. So we invite you to come. If you're anywhere close to in a driving distance uh Columbia, Tennessee, please join us for our gospel meeting. And at any time, we'd love to have you visit with us. Um, real quickly, before we pass from this infant baptism thing, I, I see a couple comments in our YouTube uh, channel. Anthony says they tried to use circumcision to parallel to water baptism to say Abraham was saved before circumcision. Therefore, we are saved before baptism. Contradictory to the word of God. I think he's right. He mentions Matthew nineteen fourteen when it speaks of little children. It says of such like these are the kingdom. It says, uh, suffer the little children, forbid them not to come unto me for of such is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, the kingdom of heaven is made up of people like them. If they're lost sinners, then that would be a contradiction, right, Monty? Mm-hmm. You know, as far as Abraham goes, there's no hint in the scriptures of, or any context whatsoever that would suggest that his circumcision was related to salvation for him one way or the other. It was just the beginning of this sign of the covenant. God yeah. told him to do it. Uh, I would probably argue maybe or go along with the argument that Abraham probably was saved before circumcision. I find I no there's reason, to, reason believe to believe otherwise. Well, there's every reason to believe that he was a faithful servant of God yeah. before, before he was instructed. Before he was instructed yeah. to be circumcised. I think so. you're right. Anthony also says uh, my point would also be that children can't practice First Corinthians five. They cannot practice discipline. Of course, First Corinthians five talks about disciplining an unfaithful mm-hmm. church member, uh, and he says they wouldn't be able to do things like that. And I think that's exactly right. Okay, quickly, uh, our third point. A misunderstanding mistake made about baptism is sprinkling is an acceptable mode of baptism. Uh, well, we, we can cover this pretty fast. My, a lot of passages in Scripture describe baptism as a burial. Yeah, an immersion. Um, uh, the definition of the Greek word baptizo has got to do with immersion. It, don't, it wouldn't reference sprinkling in any way, shape, form, or fashion. And the examples that we read about in the New Testament is immersion. So we... No reason to even consider sprinkling. Uh, I think you're right. A couple of passages we already referred to uh, tonight. Uh, Romans 6, verse 4, calls baptism a burial. Mm-hmm. Colossians 2, verse 12, that we talked about just a moment ago, talks about baptism being a burial. Interestingly, the word, the Greek word, baptizo, from which we get, obviously, baptism, all Greek scholars acknowledge there's not an exception at least certainly not in my knowledge. I don't think there is any exception because they'd be wrong if they did make an exception. All Greek scholars acknowledge that the word baptizo means to dip, plunge, or immerse. There's no question about that. Uh, the reason why we have the word, English word baptize is because when the, the original English translations of the Bible were being made, uh, to translate baptize literally with the word immerse, would contradict the standing practice of sprinkling. And they didn't want to do that, but they didn't want to be corrupt and translate the word as sprinkling when it doesn't mean sprinkling, and so they anglicized the word. They just brought it over into English. They made a new English word, baptism. Um, but again, all all scholars acknowledge that the word means to dip or to plunge or to immerse here's an interesting thing Monty did you know that this word baptizo in passages is found in other passages and when it's not talking about the act of baptism when it's talking about something else they translate it correctly Uh, in Luke 16 verse 24 remember the rich man and Lazarus Mm -hmm. the rich man was in torment and, and he called to Abraham and he said in Luke 16 verse 24 Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. So if they were going to be consistent, they would have said that he may baptize his tip of his finger. That's the same word. That's baptizo. But but here, Mm -hmm. since it's not an an issue, it wouldn't cause any controversy. They translated it accurately. Um, There's another place. I'm trying to think where this other place is. Um, John 13. In John 13, verse 26, um, this is when the the apostles were with Jesus. They're observing the Passover meal just before Jesus was to be crucified. And Jesus said, 
concerning the one who would betray him. Jesus said, he it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. That's the word, too. Mm-hmm. There, No controversy there, so they translated it yeah. accurately, to dip or to plunge, to immerse. Uh, but when it, when it came to baptism, they couldn't get themselves to do that, so they made up a new English word. But baptism is clearly a burial. There's no example of sprinkling uh, for baptism. And again, not only do Greek scholars agree, but church historians agree yeah. that baptism by immersion was practiced by the earliest Christians. No, There's no question about that. Kyle, anything? Well, no, that's just, uh, I think it's been well documented that uh, the Anglican Church did that. It's just, uh, I think it goes back to any any type of process where we try to remove and try to change the, bad, the Bible for our own purposes. I think it's just, uh, they're really playing with well, literal fire, I guess. So it's. I think you're right. I think you're right. All right, let's go to number four, another mistake. Some people say that baptism merely symbolizes that you've already been saved, Monty. Well, we're told to be uh Ananias told Paul, Saul of Tarsus, to rise and be baptized and wash away his sins. His sins was still on him. Until he was, until until he they was were baptized. Washed away. He wasn't saved yet. Yeah. Uh, as we've discussed recently, all the things that people would say that you need to do to be saved in order to avoid baptism and daylight, were praying. Paul was already praying. Uh, he'd already seen Jesus on the road. He, and they would say, well, that was his salvation experience. But he still had to have his sins washed away. They were still on him. First uh, Peter three twenty one says, "Baptism doth also now save us." In the King James translation, so we know that baptism is essential to our salvation. It's not a symbol that says we've already been saved. It's part of the process we go through in order to be saved. I think you're exactly right. Um, let's go to that passage because that's that's this is actually a passage they like to use to try and teach that that baptism is just symbolism. First uh, Peter three twenty seven. Uh, notice that in verse 20, this is 1 Peter 3.20, God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism does also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of flesh, but the answer of good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, notice they say the like figure whereunto baptism does also now save us. So they say baptism is just a figure, just a symbol. But actually, they're saying what Noah did was the symbol. They, yeah, they're getting it backwards because the word figure in the King James is, uh, what is that word? It's anti tupos. Uh, am I saying it right? Uh, uh, yeah, anti tupos is the word. And it, it, so baptism is the anti type to what Noah did. With his family in the ark. The New King James translation uses the word anatype. Right. And so what Noah did was the symbol. The reality is what we do in baptism. And so those who try to say, wow, it's called a figure there. No. Noah is the figure. Mm -hmm. Noah's salvation by the waters of the flood is the figure. The reality is our salvation by baptism. Baptism saves us, really. That's right. Yeah. And there's no way around it. That's just... Yeah. The way the language is. Okay. All right. I think that's the, we run into that, expre- that that argument fairly often, but it's just a mistaken argument that's not cannot be sustained in Scripture. Uh, real quickly, baptism is something people do to earn salvation, money. There's absolutely nothing I can do to earn my salvation. What I owed God from the moment I was born was to live a sinless life. I owed Him that. When I've done the first sin, then I fell out of I've disqualified myself from going to heaven and if i lived a perfect life after that i already owed god that i i can't make up for that one sin and believe me i've sinned more than once so there's no way i can earn salvation baptism is a work but it's a work that i have to do to be obedient to god but it doesn't earn my salvation because i can't earn salvation exactly right we we believe what ephesians chapter 2 says in ephesians chapter 2 uh, verse 8, by grace you're saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The, there are no works of merit. That's what Paul is talking about there, mm-hmm. not of works, lest any man should boast. There's no works I can boast about. There, I can't say, boy, look at me, look at everything I've done. God owes me salvation. I earned it. 
No, I already know God all of that. Not possible. Not possible. And so there's no works of merit. Uh, So what about the other things that we're told to do? Uh, In John chapter 6, verse 29, Jesus said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he hath sent. Oh, Faith is called a work. Mm-hmm. Does that earn salvation? No. Oh, I've I don't still got to do it. I don't think anybody argues that, right? What about confession? You know, when we confess, we actually do We're some work. work. We're burning some calories to form the words, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Doesn't earn us our salvation, mm-hmm. but it's something we got to do. Baptism is just something we have to do. And nobody that I know of, and literally nobody that I've ever known of, teaches that we earn salvation by being baptized. Uh, nobody believes that. I nobody don't know teaches anybody it. that would say that. All right. Uh, we're going to run out of time pretty fast. We're up to our final break time. We're going to take that final break. When we come back, we're going to talk about baptismal regeneration, baptism in the name of Jesus only, and do we have to understand what we're doing when we are baptized. Stay with us. We'll be back right after this break. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. I'm Greg Gwynn, a host of the Virtual Bible Study. Thanks for joining us for tonight's program. The Virtual Bible Study is presented weekly by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Each week on the Virtual Bible Study, we simply engage in a study of God's Word in an effort to better understand it, better understand how God views us, and better understand what He wants from us in our lives. We're not studying any creeds. We're not studying any books written by men. We're just studying the Bible. And we're trying to study the Bible alone without any of our opinions or wisdom mixed in. We're only interested in what our Creator has revealed to us in his word. We realize that we're fallible and cannot direct our own steps. As a result, what we think or feel doesn't really matter. All that matters is what God has said. So that's what the virtual Bible study is all about. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Thanks again for joining us tonight, and we hope you'll make plans to join us every Thursday night for the virtual Bible study. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. Statistics suggest that procrastination is on the rise. According to some researchers, procrastination has more than quadrupled in the last several decades. For example, in 1978, 5% of the population admitted to being chronic procrastinators compared to approximately 26% of the population today. When posed the question, to what extent is procrastination having a negative impact on your happiness, 46% said quite a bit or very much, and 18% confessed it was an extreme negative effect. That information is via mytimemanagement.com. The Word of God says in Ephesians 5, beginning verse 15, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. We're back on the virtual Bible study. We're going to the top of the hour. We're talking about common mistakes or some mistakes that people make concerning the subject of baptism. We want to talk about now... The idea of baptismal regeneration. And sometimes we are accused of believing in baptismal regeneration. Uh, and, and there may be a little confusion about what that even means. And I thought Kent did a really good job of identifying that. Kent says, uh, New Testament baptism for the remission of sins is not baptismal regeneration. The false doctrine of baptismal regeneration is a component of Roman Catholicism that affirms that a special sanctified holy water washes away original sin without one's intelligent obedience to the gospel. Obedience to the gospel. New Testament baptism is administered to one with an intelligent faith who has repented of their sins, confessed their faith in Christ as a condition of obedience to the gospel. The water itself is not the means of salvation. It is the act of obedience carried out in water that saves. Well, that was a pretty good description of it, uh, Monty. Uh, You know, Catholics, I think it's kind of interesting that Catholics, um, uh, of course, they they baptize infants. I understand Mm -hmm. that they would uh, also... and somebody can confirm this to us if you know it. I've heard that they will even baptize aborted fetuses and that even people who are mentally impaired, incompetent, incompetent yeah. they'll baptize them because because they believe that in, original sin is inherited. Mm-hmm. And so something's got to be done to take care of that. And so the holy water regenerates the person. But it's done. That baptism is done without any intelligent commitment or response yeah. in obedience. Well, and actually, as we talked about sprinkling not being acceptable mode of baptism, that's the way they're doing it also. 
the priest is putting his fingers in it and putting a little bit on their head. Well, that's not immersed in anything. So, you know, he's not accomplished anything that we read about in the Bible. Exactly right. All right. So let's go quickly to the next one. Uh, the, the idea is that some have that baptism must be done in the name of Jesus only. Uh, a lot of times we we run into people who are of the oneness Pentecostal persuasion. That's how they identify themselves. They sometimes call themselves Jesus-only Pentecostals because they believe there's just one person in the Godhead, mm-hmm. Jesus. Sometimes he manifests himself as the Father, sometimes as the Son, sometimes as the Holy Spirit, but it's all just one being. And uh, the Scripture, of course, we've talked before about the, the Godhead, the three persons in the Godhead. We don't have time really tonight to go into a full discussion of all of that. But but the scriptures are clear that there are three distinct personalities in the Godhead, not just Jesus only. <laughs> well, that in, in verse uh, Matthew twenty eight and verse nineteen, it says, "Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit." So it refers to all three there, not Jesus only. And this was Jesus making this command here. It's not something that somebody else dreamed up and stuck in there but jesus said said those words so if he said it that's the way it needs to be done yeah i think you're right and here's what here's the key though jesus even there jesus was not expressing a formula of words no. that had to be repeated when a person was baptized jesus is saying by what authority yeah. a person is baptized by the authority of the father the son and the holy spirit he wasn't saying when you baptize them you be sure you say father son and holy spirit mm-hmm. He wasn't, he wasn't giving a formula of words. He was just saying, it is done by this authority. And he's showing that all three of them are in agreement in that. Exactly right. I don't think you could, I think you could argue that nothing would have to be said over a person who was being baptized. If they understood what this act was about and why they were being baptized, I don't, you, you cannot find in the scripture a formula of words that have to be expressed. If that, if that was necessary, then think about the fact that here I'm baptizing you, money, but I messed up the words. I didn't say the words right. So I'm going to hell because so, you didn't get it right. Because I didn't get it right. That would, uh, God in his wisdom would never construct a, a, a fallible system like that. Uh, again, I don't think there's any formula of words that's necessary in order for a person to be scripturally baptized. Uh, Kyle, anything on that? Uh, well, no, I, no. I just I don't think it's a... God in his wisdom would not do that. I think it's just uh, we make sure why we're being baptized. Uh, we just don't understand any of the purpose of baptism itself. So I just think it's exactly right. Yeah. You know, I know of a person that was baptized recently, and the person that done the baptize was basically a, a new convert. But that's who the person wanted to baptize them. And while they were in the baptistry, not a word was said. But we had discussed it with them beforehand and knew that the person that was being baptized believed in Jesus. He confessed that. He understood why he was being baptized to wash away his sins. Everything that needed to be known about it was was accomplished there. But when the physical act of baptism was being done, there wasn't a word spoken. But I don't believe that negates the the quality or the effectiveness of his baptism. I think you're exactly right. Uh, Kent in Georgia says New Testament baptism in the name of Christ is that is. In that such is by the authority of Christ, Acts 2.38, Colossians 3.17. However, such does not imply that there's a specific formulation of words that must be verbally spoken at the time one receives scriptural baptism. The New Testament references that refer to penitent believers being baptized indicate what was what was to be accomplished or done, not what was verbally stated. There are varying expressions used in the New Testament regarding scriptural baptism being administered. However, none of them... Uh, uh, as used as official formulas to be recited. There's nothing unscriptural in verbally stating what you are doing and baptizing another individual, but nowhere in the New Testament do we find that it is possible to talk the devil out of any individual when we baptize them. That's not what we're doing. I think you're right, Ken. You know, I think we'd have to be careful if we thought we had to have an official formula that if we're not really careful, it would become a vain repetition that we're just getting up there and mumbling through some words because that's what we've got to do. Yeah. So again, and it, it would it would establish a system that would just be absolutely unworkable, mm-hmm. and God, in His wisdom, would never do that. Um, all right, finally, the last question, and this goes back to something that was asked by guest 
888 uh, earlier. He says, if a person is young and wants to be baptized so they can partake of the Lord's Supper and also because their friend did so earlier, are they considered baptized? Well, this goes to the last point that we wanted to make. Is it necessary to understand the purpose of baptism? What do you think, Monty? Well, I, I believe it is necessary because, as I've heard you mention before, as kids when we was playing in the creek, uh, we put each other, put people under the water all the time. I don't know how many times I got dunked, uh, but none of those accomplished the purpose of my salvation because they weren't for that. It was for something just goofing off. Uh, if we don't understand what the purpose is, I don't see how we could possibly think that we was accomplishing any purpose with it. Exactly right. And uh, we referenced earlier Romans chapter 6 where Paul talks about verse 4 being baptized with Christ in baptism. In that same context, he says in verse 17, Romans six seventeen, God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. So in the same context in which he specifically mentions baptism, he talks about them obeying from the heart. And I think clearly we have to obey from the heart. This is one of the problems we, when we were discussing earlier about infant baptism. They can't do anything can't, from the heart except for scream for food. That's right. So they can't obey from the heart. They don't know why they're being baptized. Donna, in her email earlier, said she when she was baptized as a baby, she didn't know anything about it, didn't mean anything to her. Uh, Baptism in the New Testament was always for penitent believers, always, without exception. It was always the case. Uh, and so it's important to know why we're... Monty, if we didn't have to know, if a person didn't have to know why they were baptized, I've argued we should equip a truck with a big tank of water on the back of it and just drive up and down the streets of our city. Uh, snatch people uh, up and snatch shove them, them under. That'd be shove, all right. If, if, that's, <clears throat> if that's all that's involved, then they'd be saved. Mm-hmm. Even when they didn't want to be or didn't know why they were being baptized, mm-hmm. that would save them. It's just a really ridiculous position to hold. Um, uh, we definitely have to know what we're doing to be baptized scripturally. Um, Again, I, I, a verse I really like, Romans six seventeen. obey from the heart. Kent says, one must understand the purpose of baptism for such to be valid. He references Romans six seventeen eighteen. If such were not the case, then, then our faith and knowledge would have nothing to do with salvation, and such would indeed would be a ridiculous view, Rome, uh, Acts 28, 27. All right, uh, Kyle, anything on that? I think it would be helpful if anybody who's being baptized, I mean, make sure that they completely understand the purpose of this because i don't want years later for them to be debating themselves was i baptized for the right reason should i be baptized again was i saved i think it's just essential for that purpose alone it's not only for being salvation for salvation but to be secure in your salvation so i just i think you're exactly right and and just as as in in my personal practice, especially with young people, I always set them down and talk about what we're doing, why we're doing it, and make sure you realize right now what's going on in your brain, what you're thinking about as we're doing this. Because like you said, how many times have we known folks even later in life who come back and say, oh, I'm not sure I was baptized scripturally. Well, make sure you know what you're doing and why you're doing it at the moment. And then you don't have to question that later. But it's very important to obey from the heart. Money. Uh, you know, we got to repent, and that's something that's done from the heart in order to be baptized. So we got to understand what we're repenting of. One of the things we're repenting of is the fact that we haven't been baptized yet, that we haven't accomplished our salvation, we haven't met God, God's requirements. So it's a purpose that has to be understood what we're doing. There's just no way around it. Okay. Um, uh, oh, Kevin says in the chat room... Uh, Oh, first of all, Jeff says, I know many who speak about baptism for the benefit of those in attendance who are members of the church to help them understand the purpose of baptism. Uh, well, we we need to teach, uh, but I, I don't think I don't think Jeff means that we would actually be baptized just to be instructive yes, yeah. to others. We do that as a, as an act of obedience ourselves. I think Ken, uh, that Jeff would agree. Kevin says, think about the number of new converts that might have been baptized on the day of Pentecost. If they had a lot of strong-armed men, they could have baptized more than 3,000 because yeah. there were hundreds of thousands in Jerusalem that day, we're told. Uh, not any seasoned veterans on that day. 
Kevin, you're going to have to help me with that. I'm not sure exactly what you mean, uh, seasoned veterans. All right, we're just out of time. I think it's an important discussion. We've talked about baptism. I, I wonder how many different times we've talked about baptism, 13 years of the virtual Bible study. Lots of time has been spent discussing that subject, but it is still, unfortunately, a controversial subject. I, I think some people are, we often say money, you have to have help to misunderstand. I think some people are given some help to get people to misunderstand. Well, a lot of people are given some help because, uh, as you read or hear, and sometimes when I used to have TV, we'd see these denominational preachers on television and they'd given their message. And when it gets to the point of what they would refer to as the altar call, uh, they would tell you that you don't have to be baptized. All you got to do is believe or, or do this prayer. So people are being instructed on how to misunderstand this. Exactly right. All right, we're out of time. We thank you all for participating with us. We had a good bit of discussion in the chat room, some email responses. Uh, we always appreciate that. Thanks for being with us. We look forward to the virtual Bible study next Thursday night. Jim Michaels, Lord willing, will be with us at the conclusion of our uh, worship service. We're going to rush right over here and conduct the virtual Bible study. We're going to sort of just have an open forum discussion of the things that he discusses in his sermon. So come for the sermon. Stay for the virtual Bible study. We'll look forward to seeing you if you're able to come. Uh, if not, by all means, we look forward to you joining us on the virtual Bible study. Thanks for being there. Continue to study God's word. Live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.